If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a thrilling chapter of a great story, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how to set up a story structure that keeps things moving. What's a good way to always be open to divergent paths? And as a player, how do I wrap up a story in a satisfying way? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Do you remember how much we struggled with trying to lay out a story when we first started DMing. I had no clue what a story was supposed to be. <laughs> the, the narrative that happens in a dungeon, and I think this is why dungeons are so easily used, is just because there is one path forward. You can, Yeah, you can branch off and you can go different directions, but ultimately you're going to get to the end of a dungeon. And so you're kind of just on rails, you're going to eventually hit the end, and that's it. And it's, and it's kind of satisfying, because it's just problem, solution, monster, I kill it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I open this door, there's a monster there, monster dies, I find some loot, move on to the next room. But I think once you get to a point as a DM where that doesn't maybe quite satisfy you as much as it used to. Well, I mean, if you're the DM that wants to go down that storytelling path, Fine. Fair enough. I am a DM that wants to go down that storytelling path. <laughs> okay. I want to tell stories that bring people to tears. And I want to tell stories that make people guffaw with delight. <laughs> and you do. Wonderful. With your insane NPCs. All of this is why the story structure set up in The Anatomy of Story, same book we talked about last time. There's so much juice in there. I swear we're not going to just make this a podcast about that book. But the story structure just made so much sense and it helped us so much when we wrote the last campaign that we are now playing. Yeah, and this is kind of building on that last episode that we did. And if you haven't listened to it, just go back one. But it was about the four corner opposition. And this definitely builds on that. So once you've kind of laid out all of your characters that are going to be populating a potential story and you're laying out like real deep reasons as to why they're involved. Well, next you need a way to build kind of a sandbox world and a sandbox story that doesn't feel like you're doing a dungeon crawl. It's not like A to B. You're not restricting players, but you're still adding in story beats, story beats that have meaning. Like that sounds like an impossible task. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it always has been for me. It's either felt like I'm going to try and tell a story and it's going to be way too structured or I'm just going to like wing it and let loose and let the players do whatever they want. And it feels like there is only two ways of going about this. Like yeah. you either say, oh, this is an open world and you guys can do anything and just go and explore, I guess. I don't really have a plan for you. Or 
I have a plan for you. I've got a story I'm trying to tell. Now shut up and sit down and let me tell my story. Yeah. You're not really consequential to this whole thing. You can chime in with jokes, I guess. <laughs> uh, once in a while, I'll ask you to roll a dice. But other than that, I just want you to stay quiet. I've got 16 pages of box text that is uninterrupted. <laughs> so it's really hard to hit a middle ground. Yeah. And I was so daunted by this when you and I decided to run kind of a co-DM campaign for our group of players. And after the somewhat patchy failure that was my last campaign that I ran, I knew I didn't want to repeat the same problem. The problem was that I was running Storm King's Thunder and that's exactly kind of what I ran into was there was just this big, bright, open world full of lots of different rich storylines, but none of them felt like they had a dramatic arc. Hmm. None of them really felt like they were leading to something. It was just, this is what's happening in the world. You can go and explore any path. And that's great for a sandbox. But what if you're trying to do sandbox with a little bit of uh, those dramatic story yeah evolution of the story yeah i want to feel something and i want it to mean something to my character too yeah that's something we always try to do and we've learned so much in the campaign that we're running now it's not like we started and we had it all figured out oh but. no <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's definitely been a piece it together as you go so today we are talking about laying out those story beats based on the same yeah that john truby book and what it can teach us now we're going to go through the basic seven but he's got a whole 22 that really add a lot of nuance. All right, let's go to the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so we're going to go through these story beats. And again, they're not that rigid Every time I see something like this, I throw up my defensive walls and say that seems too railroady. Yeah. But if surprising Travis when he came home from grocery shopping was my story beat, I <laughs> don't could, do this. <laughs> I already don't like it. I could pop a balloon. Yeah. I could let loose six live crabs in his bedroom. <laughs> don't. I, I could record a choir of his enemies singing a song of revenge. <laughs> How many enemies do I have? <laughs> I don't know. I'll find out. So I don't know. That doesn't seem like a railroad or predictable to me. But you know that you want to surprise me. That's the that's the core. Yeah. To my story, <laughs> to my character development, <laughs> I need to be surprised this day yeah. by anything, including six live crabs. Mm -hmm. This is solid. No, I completely agree. Not with your plans. <laughs> However, I do agree with the premise that, yeah, you can do a lot of really interesting things in the moment if you were just following that structure. And that's all this really is, is just a structure to follow so that you know that you're following a dramatic arc. So an example of a story beat is just imagine a series of steps and each one builds on the next. And what's so cool about this is that if you know what each one of those steps is, you can sidestep to a different topic. You just throw different details into there and you're still hitting the same beat, but it's not the same content. Yeah. The benefits of this is just that there's massive flexibility for what happens. If the campaign shifts, sidestep, and when you're prepping sessions, you always know the next beat you're building towards. All right, you ready to get into the steps? Yeah, lay them on me. One, the weakness and need of your characters. Two, the desire of your characters. Three, the opponent. Four, 
the plan hatched by the characters. <laughs> Five, the battle. You should probably know what this one is in D&D &D, after all. <laughs> no, can you go into more detail? <laughs> Six, the self-revelation of the characters. And seven, the new equilibrium. So I'm not going to remember any of those. Uh, could I potentially download a list or a, a structure on our website? Sure, <laughs> if you need it. All right. Yeah, don't worry about taking too many notes here. We'll lay all of this out in a downloadable PDF on hookandchance.com, so you can just download it there. So let's go into the steps. And as we go through these, I'm going to try and put them into context as to what we did to plan our campaign and kind of some of the campaign notes. All right, so number one, the weakness and need. Their weakness is something that they need to overcome as a party. You can do this on an individual character level, and holy shit, like your stories are going to get complex, convoluted, but oh my goodness, you're going to get some really cool results. But I think on a grander scale, you as a DM, if you want to lay out these story beats, they're fairly easy to follow if you can summarize kind of what your players wanted. So in our session zero for our campaign, we knew that we wanted this to take place in a desert city. And the premise of the city was that it was going to be a big walled off city in the middle of essentially what is the Sahara. It's like miles upon miles to get there. Nobody goes there except to trade and get rich. And it's tough to survive unless you're exactly like unless you have the resources to survive in this place, it's going to be very inhospitable. However, during our session zero, the players identified that their primary value was family. And some of them came from some means and other ones not so much. But during this weakness and need, what we did as a part of the campaign was we started them off having had all of their possessions essentially destroyed in a big attack. And now they were refugees heading to this desert city, which is happened to be the closest city that wasn't currently being attacked by, in this case, giants. So we established a need by taking away everything in their backstory and setting them out through the desert. So now they need food, water, shelter, all of those basic human essentials, and they also need to keep their other NPCs alive. So during the actual session zero, we had the players lay out who's your NPC, why do you care about them, who is this Achilles heel that you're now dragging with you throughout the rest of this story. Yeah, so they each had a couple NPCs that they brought, which made quite a traveling group. And it makes it a little bit more compelling when you add a moral aspect to this. Having those NPCs coming along with them, they needed to get into the city and establish themselves, get some safety, get some basic needs. And morally, if they didn't, then those NPCs were going to start dropping due to the harsh conditions outside the city wall. We didn't have to threaten the characters. We just had to threaten their little community that they were building as into a family if they want to. And now what this did for us as DMs was it gave us a general theme to keep following. Everything we did during this first phase of the campaign, which they crossed the desert. We did a bit of a traveling thing. 
And that took probably two or three sessions for them to actually arrive at the outskirts and the walls, the outer walls of this city. And during that time, all we did was focus on highlighting how much they needed food, water, and shelter. Yeah. People were getting levels of exhaustion. They were being attacked. There was uh, desert storms. Like everything was just set up to show how vulnerable they were in this current position to highlight that need. Every opportunity that came up to highlight need, we took it. Every encounter in their travel was deepening that story beat. So next we have desire number two. This is outward. And this creates an interest in the development of the story. So at this phase, what we needed to do was to entice them, to show them a possibility of a brighter future for their characters. So during this whole phase, we then put up a roadblock in their way into getting into the city. You, in fact, needed an exorbitant amount of money to get into the city. We created this desire. Well, we want to get into the city because that's where all the safety is. Once they arrived at the outskirts, they found a whole bunch more refugees who just were not allowed inside the city without money, trade goods, anything that made somebody wealthy. Unfortunately, they were lacking all of that because we established that with their weakness and need. And now all we have to do is show them traveler after traveler going through the gates with lots of money and how bright and beautiful. We're going to just give them little glimpses <laughs> of how great life is inside this city. And one important thing to remember is that this is what they want within this story, not necessarily a greater desire in their lives. This isn't we want to resolve the deep issues with our backstory. This is within the confines of the story that's happening. Yeah, and so again, all we had to do was look for every opportunity, even other NPCs would bring up and tell stories about how good life is on the inside. And I think what's cool about this too is that if you're starting from a more sandboxy style of game, once your characters start to formulate their own desires as a party, then you start building the steps from there. You can take side steps and you can follow a different path and then keep highlighting desire all along that way. You're just looking for any opportunity to highlight what comes up in this stage, which is desire. Like when I introduce a, you as an NPC and they want to start releasing crabs into your house. <laughs> Don't do that. Still against it. I want the crabs. All right, so step three is the opponent. And that's what stands in the way of them accomplishing their needs and desires. So in our case, in this campaign, once they arrived at the city, they had these big gates. Not too big of a problem unless there is an unjust and immoral shitbag of a Goliath guard captain that will not let anybody in and just a giant militant force. And so we had both the villain of being completely penniless, but needing a lot of money to get in there. And then also this physical, like, ooh, Jesus, there's a Goliath there that we now can look for opportunities to show how evil and how this opponent must be conquered in order for them to continue and progress through the story. Yeah, because not only is he evil, because that's as far as I used to go in creating a bad guy, <laughs> and then the party passes them by because they're not actually standing in the way. Yeah. So this guy's bad, and he's directly in their path. So with this, now we're looking for every opportunity 
to give examples of how evil he is and how much he's going to be a problem for them in getting into that city. So we can look for opportunities to show how corrupt he is by taking bribes. We can look for opportunities to show his power and his just immense size, and then also just how much of a force he is so we can have him just be cruel to others. Uh, we can look for all different kinds of examples, and the party, again, can sidestep and take uh, a move either way, but we still know that that opponent is there, and it's going to oppose them no matter what. And it's even more powerful if that opponent is trampling over their values. Oh, yeah. Which our values for this party from the last episode were selflessness and family. So if he's, you know, trying to tear up families and... Oh, yeah, that's even worse. Like, now we can get into showing the party at every opportunity how much he opposes each one of their values and just stomps all over them. And we only really started fleshing him out when they decided they wanted to take a forward approach and get through those gates because they had the options of you know trying to climb the walls or going through the sewers we made sure that we planted little seeds of like which way do you want to go to get past this obstacle and when they decided on that gate we fleshed him out as their opponent yeah and if they had taken a different route which they absolutely could this is a sandbox world well we're gonna flesh out a different opponent if they went through the sewers there was probably a monster that was that we would then start to seed as the major opponent. You're not going to get through here without coming into conflict with this opponent. Yeah. Okay, so then step four is the plan. How they're going to defeat their opponent and get their desire. So this is exactly what we can start to lay out for our party in small hints along the way. Maybe this is an NPC. In our case, we actually used a few different NPCs that describe different ways of going about this potential plan. This is some serious exposition, but they could bribe, they could fight, they could do a number of different approaches, and each NPC maybe dropped a hint or two along the way until the party started to form their plan and starts to execute on that plan. So the party's plan became trying to make some kind of a deal with this opponent. So in their conversation, he said, if you take out a troublemaker outside these gates for me secretly, then I'll get you into the city, showing his corruptness. And forcing the players to make a moral choice, a morally repugnant choice. And how are they going to deal with that? And the players could do whatever they want. This is still a sandbox. They can take any approach. Maybe they ignore his plan and go a different route. But either way, we still have this battle, quote unquote, because this doesn't necessarily need to be a fight. Yes, this is the battle stage, but this is more just the resolution of the conflict. So their eventual battle came to them coming back saying, hey, we've done the task, let us in. And now there's still more battle to be done. They had the deal switched on them. And now they had to take a different route. So there's this whole, basically, conflict stage that, as a DM, I can just keep throwing up cool little roadblocks and forcing the players to make some different choices, to come up with new creative options 
to solve this problem. So that was step five, the battle. And then on to step six, the self-revelation. This is the realization of their weakness and their need. So in this stage, we can resolve all of these character problems. And what we did was we eventually let them in. He gave them a new deal and they were going to get smuggled in. They thought, great, we've gotten in. We didn't have to use violence as much as we could have. <laughs> they definitely ended up doing some bad things. But we've done a little bit of self-revelation. They have made some morally interesting choices that I can use later on as a DM, one of which was pretty powerful in creating up future weaknesses and needs, which was they left their NPCs outside the gate in order to get in now. If that's not self-revelation, realizing that you're a bit of a shitbag. <laughs> but yeah, they took a different approach and it has consequences. They're revealing more about themselves and their characters as they get smuggled in and they make this shady deal to come into the city. So we've essentially got what we were after. We're inside the city. Hooray, right? <laughs> yes. And finally, you get to step seven, the new equilibrium. So either the party has their self-revelation and finds a better new normal, or they don't do what they actually needed to do, and they find themselves in a worse new normal. So in this case, based on their choices, entirely their choices, they could have taken the high road and tried to go in through the sewers and bring all of their friends with them. But instead, they chose to take a more immoral route and go in through the city and get smuggled in. Work with their opponent, do what he wanted them to do, get smuggled in, make the moral choice to leave their party outside, and they ended up being smuggled into a prison camp, essentially, that was run by one of the families inside the city. With this, we were able to establish a new equilibrium and basically show the players that this is their new normal. They took a shitty route, they learned a morally valuable lesson, and now they're in prison um, because the, go figure, the untrustworthy guy at the gate is untrustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> and now, great, we've got this new normal established for them. They're in a worse place. But I think what was really powerful for me, a learning experience, was once we got through those steps, they ended up in prison and they celebrated because they had succeeded at their need. Yeah. They'd gotten into the city, technically. And they said, yeah, we did it. We got past that opponent. Yeah, it was pretty cool to watch that play out. And what's so neat about this, what's so neat about this approach to planning out a campaign is that we can, again, sidestep. Depending on what the characters want to do, we can go anywhere we want and now once we've followed all of these seven steps through to their eventual conclusion, now they're inside the city, they're in prison, now we start right back at weakness and need. They're in prison, they need freedom. We can do this whole process again, and that's a whole nother dramatic story arc that we can follow through to its eventual conclusion. And as long as we keep cycling through these, we are building to a larger story as well. Like we, we plotted out some basic points that'll cover a much longer period of time if they get there, but we can keep resolving these shorter stories within that. And right now, 
we've gone through this seven-step process. I think we're in the middle of our third time through all of these steps. Step one was the first trip through the seven steps, weakness and need. The whole thing took place in this like, hey, our weakness and need is that we need to be inside the city. And so all of these steps laid out, and now we've resolved their weakness and need. Now they're inside the city, and now we're establishing a desire. And then we did all of the seven steps again in a little bit of a mini arc or a mini campaign. And now we're in the middle of step three with establishing a really big grand opponent that we had already done using, again, exactly the same seven steps to lay out the big grand plan. So you can kind of like Russian nesting dolls. They just keep going (laughs) into themselves. Yeah. And one of my favorite things about it is we just we always know the next thing we've got to do. And another really powerful thing about this is that you can use it for individual characters whenever you want to as well throughout a larger campaign. If a character is developing a really strong weakness and need and desire, you can just springboard from that and have one of those character-specific mini-arcs. Absolutely. Like if we wanted to get more character-specific, we could go back to Wibble, who we've talked about. Oh, yes, your monk. So you want to, let's go through these. If I were to say writing a campaign, a quick campaign for you, A quick story in the middle of a larger campaign. Sure, let's do that. So Wibble is my gnome monk. For the most part, he's a jovial, peaceful little monk. And he's a deep hoarder. That's all you need to know, really. (laughs) I mean, he's a pretty great character in that he's simple and he's compelling. So that weakness and need, that first step, his weakness is his attachment to his stuff. And I think if we wanted to put a moral spin on that, is that sometimes maybe he crosses the line between taking useless trinkets to actually stealing people's stuff without really coming to terms with that. Yeah, he just kind of like psychologically blocks out that he's doing something that could be bad. Yeah. Just because his desire for that thing is too great. So if I were writing a campaign for Wibble, at this point I think I would probably just want to highlight that it is a weakness. Maybe one of the ways I could do that would be to introduce some encumbrance rules and show how difficult it is to keep dragging all of your stuff around and maybe make it a bit of an Achilles heel for you is say like, hey, uh, your wagon is buckling under the weight of all of your stuff. What are you going to do to keep all of this stuff? Yeah, it's slowing down the party. It's becoming an actual problem. You have a weakness for this stuff, but you also have a need to resolve this issue. One of the resolutions could be Wibble wanting to find somewhere to put it all. He wants to find a house that he can, you know, kind of his home base come back to. So step two, desire. Yeah. So he has a desire for a place to put it all. Pretty simple. And I can lead you to that desire by just highlighting how painful it is to keep dragging it around. You're inevitably going to need a place to either stash it or leave it just for the sake of reducing that complication. Yeah. So whether you choose to go for a house or a cave, I can work with that. But ultimately, you're going to need a place to put it. If I want to buy it, if I want to steal it, whatever. It's my choice. And the third step is the opponent. So we've already established your opponent. You established him in your creation of Wibble using our character development tool 
And that led you to have an ogre that just hates Wibble for various reasons. He opposes all of his traits and he's an angry ogre that wants to smash stuff. Yeah, and we kind of did this in the four corner opposition episode as well. So I can use that same ogre that we established there as your primary opposition. And again, with that ogre and conflicting with all of your values, now this ogre is really just out to smash your shit. Yeah. So Wibble has this need. He has all this stuff. Wherever Wibble goes, he's going to be dogged by this ogre that just wants to go and stomp on all your fun trinkets. I don't just need to put it somewhere because it's an inconvenience. It's like, it's going to be gone unless I figure this out quick. Well, and at this point, maybe you have found that. Maybe you found the house. Maybe you found a cave. Whatever path you take, ultimately, I'm going to wait for you to find a place to put all your stuff and okay. try to resolve that need before that I really hit you hard with that opponent. Okay, so then that brings us to step four, the plan. So now Wibble has to figure out what he's going to do about dealing with this ogre that's dogging him. Whether or not you have a place to stash all your stuff at this point is kind of irrelevant. But either way, he's a threat. That ogre is going to get to your stuff. And if you put it anywhere in one safe place, there's a chance he's going to find it. He's going to smash it. He's going to find it in your cave. Well, Wibble might do something like... uh you know, lay some stuff in a trap, have the party help him, convince my party members to help me deal with this threat because it's not just a threat to me, but a threat to them. That'll provide some interesting character interaction and uh, it'll be a fun Home Alone situation. <laughs> the paint cans tied to the banister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So step five is that battle. So now we're going to resolve it. Now, again, this doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a brawl. This is just that battle of maybe it's wits. Maybe you have to outsmart the ogre. Whatever the case may be, you're going to come into direct conflict with it. It's going to pop off. And then finally, I'll get to my self-revelation and realize that it depends how the battle goes. But It really uh, does, yeah. I mean, afterwards, he'll probably do something like realize that his own desire for stuff is no different than the ogre's desire to smash stuff. They just want it for different reasons. Uh, maybe he gives it all up to people that need it in a some kind of a good moral resolution or he burns it all. Maybe he had to actually kill the ogre and now he has to deal with that, that challenge of oh, I had to end something else's life or I had to you know, wound his leg or something to incapacitate him or something like that. But ultimately, Wibble had to do something violent which is one of his moral traits yeah. and values, to save another. And that's a bit of a self-revelation. Either way, whatever path you took, there's going to have to be some character growth. And I could even take it in a negative character growth kind of way. If I do defeat the ogre, I steal all of his stuff and realize and not have that like good revelation, Ooh. but just resolve to hoard more. <laughs> And that's what I love about this approach is it just allows you to do whatever you want to do in character. As a player, you don't have to be in on this whole story plan. But I just know that I have to lead you one way or another to this, this next step, which that seventh step, a new equilibrium, and we start the whole thing over again. We establish where Wibble is now. Now he has a home. Now he has this. Now he has whatever happened in that. 
now I know where I'm going. But I think I think you're right. The player doesn't have to be in on all of it, but I think that you as the DM can ask a lot of really important questions to the character growth. Kind of at that like self-revelation step. I think it's really important that the DM and the player interact with like, okay, so like, what's your character's reaction to this? What does your character do? And really just like focus on that character's growth from it. Well, and I think you can even do that in character. You can have party conversations. You know, other PCs can say, Wibble, what have you done? Like, is this really the outcome that you wanted? Or an NPC? You know, a DMPC, if you really want to try to drive this point home, uh, the next bartender can ask all about where they were coming from and what happened and explore that in Mm -hmm. conversation in character. Theoretically, that's all good. I'm just saying that you might have to have a conversation with a player (laughs) because sometimes when I'm playing D&D, I don't dive into those unless something snaps me into that headspace. Fair enough. But either way, either way, Everyone, send us some crabs. No, don't. You don't know what you're asking for. The steps. Weakness and need, desire, opponents, a plan, a battle, that self-revelation, and a new equilibrium. And again, you can download that template on our website at hookandchance.com. And then it will be much simpler than just listening to us theoreticate about it. Or you can look up the book that all of this came from, John Truby's The Anatomy of Story. Super good. All right, so let's go to our segment, Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. All right, so in this one, we're going to talk about something that really helps flesh out connections between the characters. And we've talked about this before in like the fiasco backgrounds and trying to like tie characters together. And those are really, really good. But you found something a little bit more in depth. And this actually came from a conversation with Eric Frankhaus, who has the podcast Eric Frankhaus Presents. And And has been a guest on the show. Yeah. As far as DMs go, He's a pretty prolific and accomplished DM as the winner of the Iron GM like a million times in a row. And so one of his bits of wisdom was these backstory cards by Brooklyn Indie Games. And they're really powerful ways to kind of start fleshing out your campaign world and your characters' connections at the same time. So basically you get your characters figured out and then you list three individuals, groups, places, and events in the story world. As a DM, like the DM has to kind of list out something for the players to work with. Yeah. And I mean, you can all be kind of doing this in the session zero. But yeah, the DM is going to have to bring that to the table. Then you draw the cards from this deck, which give specific and detailed prompts that kind of force creative thinking about the way that these characters are connected in reference to those events and places and NPCs. And I found this step particularly great because those prompts were actually specific and detailed because nothing drives me more nuts than just really, really vague prompts. Your character has a fear. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Great. (laughs) If it's going to save me time in doing all of the thinking behind the meaning and the reason as to why I want to include these, like that's what makes these so powerful 
is that all of that thinking has been done for you and you just have to come up with some creative details. Yeah, you just tack on the basically the end of the sentence. Just an example of one of these cards. You, another PC, and one of the individuals had a three-way standoff and you were worse for wear afterwards, but you got something out of it. What did you get and what did it cost you? That's good. That's juicy. Yeah. Well, and it's more than just like my parents died. And it's more than just you don't like this person. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like this person because they killed my parents. <laughs> that would be a pretty bad prompt. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I'm saying is that all of them that I've come across are just oh, not quite as good as these. Like yeah. these actually give really specific ideas and they drive towards something that is actually going to be useful in a game. Yeah. Like dead parents never come up in a game. Yeah. In essence, these cards were really good for getting some very quick and easy. We actually tried this with some of the NPCs in the campaign that we've been talking about throughout this episode. And in like probably three minutes, what we did was we took some of the NPCs that our characters have kind of glommed onto, like they've taken an interest in these specific NPCs. You know, those ones that stand out, even though you don't mean them to. <laughs> you made up a name at random. And <laughs> sure did. those are always the ones that the characters are going to find the most interesting. And they're going to invite them into the, the adventuring party. And you're never rid of them. But the ones that you spent all this time and energy putting into and fleshing out a backstory, they just pass right by. So what I liked about this was that we took three of those NPCs that we just made up on the fly that the characters took a shine to. And now all of a sudden those characters became really deep and rich. Because they're connected to each other and they're a little bit connected to the party. And this is just three prompts. Like you could keep going as long as you wanted. Yeah, with that... Now all of those NPCs have this like weird, deep interweaving story that the players can now explore. So let me run you through our test run. We've got Casido, the goblin bartender that, uh, of course, they took a liking to. Just the fact that it's a goblin bartender, you know it was made up on the fly. <laughs> yeah. And he runs the Vermin Broth Tavern. You've got Tarnica, who is a underground weapons dealer that they are starting to buy from. And Pavith who's the runesmith that works with Tarnica, and he'll actually add a lot of depth to this campaign by using the Armorer's Handbook by Heavy Arms that we've talked about before, too. Yeah, it's on the DM's Guild. So with those three characters, that's pretty much all we had to them when we introduced them. I liked that we had to... Like, again, we didn't intend on these being important NPCs. We just needed somebody to sell them the shit from that guide. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we have these two NPCs that they start liking. And we're like, ah, shit, we didn't plan for these PCs to be significant. <laughs> so we just ran them through these story cards and they're pretty good. Give us an example. So now Casido is unsettled by one of our player characters because he reminds him of a mysterious fighter in some of the games that happen in the city. The fighter was ruthless and Casido now thinks that the character might actually be this mysterious fighter. He's not sure. That was from a story card. <laughs> you got Tarnica, the weapons dealer, who's deeply in debt to Pavith, the runesmith, because Pavith saved her shop by being a useful business partner. Like, now all of a sudden, different NPCs that they're encountering are in debt to one another. Yeah. That's worth exploring. That's something interesting. Maybe the players start to figure out, oh, I can... Pavith is actually loaded. 
and maybe they can hit him up for money. And Tarnica, if they start to get to know her better, they know that she doesn't have a lot of money. She might need their help for personal stuff. And I wouldn't have put them in debt off the top of my head no, definitely to one not. another. So now finally, Pavith was the runesmith for one of the teams in these citywide games, but he purposefully created the wrong enchantment for their weapons. And he was paid off by one of the houses in the city. Casido, the goblin, saw the deal. And so Pavith had to cut him out on the profits to keep him quiet. And that was literally like three and a half minutes, five minutes yeah. of just brainstorming with these story cards. I can't imagine how rich we could make this whole world if we just... I can't this, keep like... all that shit straight in my head, though. Yeah, well... I need these story cards <laughs> next to me so that I can just quickly like look at them and go, ah, shit, I can do this real quick. Yeah, that's true. You could keep them at the table when you needed something for an NPC. You ask me a name, and I've got a name generator, and then when you as a player start to take a liking to this NPC, <laughs> I got to figure some shit out real freaking fast. Start asking those personal questions that they know. Players, you know the DM doesn't have the answer to this. Talking to every player that's ever played D&D listening to this podcast, you know who you are. So where can they get these, these story cards? Backstorycards.com. That's super easy to remember. Yeah. Good job, Backstory Cards. <laughs> this is starting to sound like a real, <laughs> like they're sponsoring this show. They're not sponsoring this show. We just dig them. When we start getting paid for these endorsements, you'll know. They'll get really <laughs> greasy and gross. Oh, God. That's BackstoryCards.com. Oh, yes. We'll sell out real quick. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you've already made up your mind on that one. Yeah, we're sponsored by Sea Undies and roundspace.com as well oh we've already taken money from them right it will sound cool if we make up sponsors why have we not thought of this before i don't know we'll, we'll sound like we're big huge podcasters sponsored by google they we're... gave us 10 million dollars oh shit yeah <laughs> we're doing this podcast from space please don't sue us google i didn't mean that google's listening right now i know yeah. that Especially since you just said Google like six times. There's <laughs> no SEO, getting out of this. man. SEO. Let's, let's wrap <laughs> this up before we do any more damage. Well, we hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you use this story system, let us know. Because again, there's the seven step and then there's a 22 step system. It gets you deep in that muck of storytelling. And truthfully, we use the 22 step system to plan out our entire campaign and then the seven-step system to do these little pieces of the story that led up to the bigger whole. So if you want to tell us what you're doing with that, you can find us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and even Reddit. And thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects and all of the sound effects that you hear in this episode. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and send great gifts games. of crabs to Travis. No, do not do that. Please, I'm begging you, as many as you can. <laughs> Seriously, why? <laughs> <laughs>